Would you take your Bibles and turn with me to James chapter 4, and we're just going to pick up where we left off last Sunday. There have been times where the New Testament book, James, is actually called the New Testament Proverbs. If you're familiar with the book of Proverbs in the Old Testament, you're aware that what you have is a collection of sayings that are real specific, very practical, that help us to navigate through life. And they're often given to us in a very fatherly tone. Like, hear, my son, your father's instructions. Or, my son, do not walk away from these instructions. Or, my son, receive these words. My son, do not forget these teachings. Well, as we turn to James, we see some parallels here. There are some very practical teachings for us that help us through life. Whether it's how to navigate through adversity, how to handle uh, temptation, uh, how to think about even topics like favoritism, or if we look a little bit further about the, the, the significance of our words, how we ought to seek God's wisdom over the world's wisdom, how we might deal with our own anger, repentance, and confessing sin. And just last Friday, we talked about slander. Well, today, we're going to be talking about something intensely practical, and that is planning. Planning throughout our lives. The main character in our passage, you will find out, is one that is all about the daily planner. He's one that's all about going to his phone and bringing up the calendar to tell you precisely what he is planning on doing over the next year of his or her life. So let's look at James chapter 4, picking it up in verse 13, and let's read about this self-assured person and the plans that they have for their own life. Picking up in verse 13. Come now, you who say, today or tomorrow... We will go into such and such a town and spend a year there and trade and make a profit. Yet you do not know what tomorrow will bring. What is your life? For you are a mist that appears for a little time and then vanishes. Instead, you ought to say, if the Lord wills, we will live and do this or that. It is. As it is, you boast in your arrogance. All such boasting is evil. So, whoever knows the right thing to do and fails to do it, for him it is sin. Father, would you help us to look at these words and to draw truth from them? You have told us that it's not enough just to hear the word but to do it. You've told us that oftentimes there can be stuff in our life that keeps us from hearing it. So we would confess any known sin to you right now, whether that's pride or preoccupation with the affairs of life. Help us to humbly receive the implanted word right now. In Jesus' name, amen. So our main character this morning is a person who declares, I know what I'm going, I know 
where I'm going. I know how long I will be there, what I will do, and what the result will be. Look with me again here at verse 13. This man says, today or tomorrow, that's speaking about when this person will go, we will go into such and such a town, that is speaking about where they will go, and spend a year there, they're speaking about how long he will be there, and trade, speaking about what they will do, and make a profit, and speaking here about the result of that. Now, is there anything wrong in the Bible with planning? No, we just read at the beginning of our service, the plans of the diligent lead surely to abundance. We, we could also read in Proverbs 29, where there is no prophetic vision, the people cast off restraint. So the Bible is certainly not against planning. The plans here of Mr. or Mrs. businessman or business person here is that of not acknowledging God at all in their plans. So maybe to paraphrase it in a certain way, we may say something like this. My business here in Green Bay is flourishing. And I have a particular business plan that what I want to do is expand that business. And so what I'm going to do is tomorrow, I'm going to leave for one year and move to La Crosse, to the other side of the state. And there I'm going to grow my business. During this time, I will hire quality people, train them in my product. And then a year from now, my business will expand even further, increasing in revenue, and I'll be able to move back with a business that is now broader and more successful than it is today. Now, is there anything wrong with that plan? That might be exactly what is needed to do. The problem with the plan is that it does not acknowledge God. There's no reference here of, God, what would you want me to do? Rather, it's just about saying, this is what I am going to do. What we have here in this passage likely is a believer. It's a believer that has gone to church, enjoys the Sunday morning worship. They come through the doors. They enjoy seeing one another. They enjoy singing the songs. They get encouragement from the sermons. And when they leave church on that Sunday early afternoon, they go back into their life. And it seems as if there is a disconnect from what's taking place in church and what ought to be taking place in their family or in their work, or in their community, or even in the gym when they work out. And James is saying, you are worshiping God when you get together on Sunday mornings, but there is a disconnect from the truths that you are learning there on Sunday morning from the rest of your life. So, in response to that, James has a few different words for Mr. or Mrs. Business Person. His response is three different words are actually four. The first is found here in verse 14. He says, life is unpredictable. Look with me what it says here in verse 14. Yet you do not know what tomorrow will bring. So this person that that has these self-assured plans of saying, this is what I'm going to do. And in response to that, James says, Life is unpredictable. You do not exactly even know what's going to take place tomorrow. Something could come about and change your plans. 
As you read this passage and you just think about, I wonder, is there another place where the Bible says something like this? My mind goes back to a parable that Jesus once taught. You don't have to turn there, but in Luke chapter 12, he tells a parable of a rich man. It says in Luke 12:16, and he told him a parable saying, the land of a rich man produced plentifully. And he thought to himself, what shall I do? For I have nowhere to store my crops. And he said, I will do this. I will tear down my barns and build larger ones. And there I will store all my grain and my goods. And I will say to my soul, soul, you have ample goods laid up for many years. Relax, eat, drink, and be merry. But God said to him, fool. This night your soul is required of you, and the things that you have prepared, whose will they be? So is the one who lays up treasure for himself and is not rich toward God. Here is a rich man who has been blessed with a particular field that yields a wonderful harvest. And so this man says to himself, here's what I am going to do. I'm going to tear down my barns and build larger ones that I can fill these barns up. And then I will be able to eat, drink, and be merry and relax here. But what he didn't know was that life is unpredictable. And at a time when he did not expect it, his soul was required of him. So suddenly his his laid out plans were not wise at all because he had given no thought to God. This story comes alongside and and complements the very passage which we read in James 4. It says, we might make these plans, but we have to give God foresight. We have to acknowledge Him in every area of our life. Life is unpredictable. Peter Marshall tells a little story. He said, an old legend tells of a merchant in Baghdad when one day he sent his servant to the market. Before long, the servant came back white and trembling, and in great agitation said to the master, Hey, down at the marketplace, I was jostled by a woman in the crowd. When I turned around, I saw it was death that jostled me. She looked at me and made a threatening gesture. Master, please lend me your horse, so I must hasten away to avoid her. I will ride to Samaria, and there I will hide, and death will not find me. The merchant lent him his horse, The servant galloped away in great haste. Later the merchant went down to the marketplace and saw death standing in the crowd. He went over to her and asked, Hey, why did you frighten my servant this morning? Why did you make a threatening gesture? That wasn't a threatening gesture, death said. It was only a start of a surprise. I was astonished to see him in Baghdad, for I have an appointment with him tonight in Samaria. Each of us have an appointment in Samaria. That is a cause for rejoicing, not for fear, provided we have put our trust in him who alone holds the key to life and death. We might think that we are in control. Let me just plan out my life. Let me just plan out this next year and five and ten years. And there's nothing wrong with planning. But we have to do that in full awareness that at any moment, God could change those plans because life is unpredictable. You know our story just a few weeks ago. My wife says, I just don't think that little guy's doing, he's not acting the way he should. 
takes him into a clinic only to find out that his life and our lives would change with the diagnosis of diabetes. James was saying to the businessmen, you may think you are in control, but God can change your plans in a moment. It would be wise for you to acknowledge God is overall. The second thing he says in response to this person is life is short, but eternity is forever. Look with me at verse 14. What is your life? For you are a mist that appears for a little time and then vanishes. It's not unusual when we get up early to drive into work, to drive through a, a thick fog, right? But once that sun comes up over the horizon, often it will burn that fog up or that mist and there'll be some clarity. And what James is saying to us this morning is our life is like that mist. I don't get to do this too often, maybe a couple of times a year, but we love as a family to kind of see the sunset. And it's amazing when you, when you see it at the, on the bay, you'll see it and it's just over the horizon and you can literally see that move and suddenly the sun is gone. There'll be times in the morning when the sun comes up and Melody will say, hey, you got to go check out the sunrise. Let me get this up real quick and I'll go look. And by the time I get there, it's over. And this is what James is saying about our life. And it's been said in other places as well, like Job 14. Man who was born of a woman is few days and then full of trouble. He comes out like a flower and withers. He flees like a shadow and continues not. This is what the Bible says about our life. It's like a flower that comes up and then it withers. The psalmist says, the years of your life are 70, or by reason of strength, 80. Yet their span is but toil and trouble. They are soon gone, and we fly away. On Tuesday evening, often what I do is I'll take a passage of Scripture that I'm preaching on, and I'll just listen to sermons on it, and let those men preach to my soul, and, and break me up, and preach hard to me that... God deals with me through a particular passage that I can come with a level of brokenness to you, saying I've, I've been working through this myself this week. So on Tuesday evening, I'm, I'm working on one of our vehicles, putting rotors on it, and I'm listening to this pastor out of California. His name was Don Tom Chesco, and he's preaching from this passage. And he, he stood before his congregation and he said to them, it's been 87 days since I last stood behind this pulpit to preach to you. Over 87 days ago. I was, I was going for a hike uh, there in the mountains where we live, and I felt this chest pain. Later found out that it was a heart attack, and he had spent 18 days in the hospital. While there in his hospital bed, he began to think about life. Life is unpredictable. And now as a 65-year-old man preaching this message, he said, life is short. And the title of his message I found interesting he talked about, the title of it was, Not Much Matters. And all the things that we contend to get stressed out about really don't matter. He said, as I stood there in that hospital room contemplating life and contemplating death, what was really precious to me was the gospel and knowing that Jesus had died in my place. I think about my bro brother, a couple of years older than me, 
About four or five years ago, he was up in Bend, Oregon. That's where his workplace is. And he was doing a mountain biking trail. He'd rented a bike and he was with some buddies and they were working along these mountain trails. And suddenly he got in this very severe accident. And he laid there in just tormenting pain, waiting for himself to be airlifted out of there. And he said the only thing that brought comfort to his life was the awareness that his sins had been forgiven and that the righteousness of Christ had been applied to his life. He too was reminded that life is unpredictable and that life is short. Our businessman here is only thinking about this life. He's only thinking about the here and the now. But he is foolish not to consider eternity. And not to consider, God, why would you have me to use this particular scenario that I'm in to influence eternity? Jesus said, do not lay up for yourselves treasures on earth where moth and rust destroy and where thieves break in and steal. But lay up for yourselves treasures in heaven where neither moth nor rust destroy and where thieves do not break in and steal. Jesus, in the same passage in Matthew 6, said to the the people, Gentiles, they fret, they worry about food and clothing and shelter, but you're not supposed to do that as followers of mine. Rather, you are to seek first the kingdom of God and His righteousness, and these things will be added to you. So in response to the self-assured person that kind of has their life mapped out, or at least the next year, He says, life is unpredictable and life is short. You're only thinking about this life. Think beyond it. Think about eternity. And then thirdly, life is about acknowledging God's will. Look with me at the next verse here. Verse 15. Instead, you ought to say, if the Lord wills, we will live and do this or that. As I consider my life and the years ahead, there's certainly nothing wrong with planting. But to think about, God, what is it you would want of my life? And I'm going to make these plans as best I can. But God, you may interrupt this. And I might not make it to the end of this message. But you are sovereign. You ordain these events. I'm going to trust you. And you do with it what you deem is wise. Life is about acknowledging God's will. Do you know God's will for your life? My mom turned 70 this year, which is a big deal. I mean, it seems how, I can't believe how fast life is going for her and for me. And finally, she's begun to stop working so much. And we went back for her 70th birthday in July. I just began to ask her questions saying, now how's this going for you? And she said, Chad, I'm beginning to think about my life's purpose. Have I missed it? Am I doing what God wants me to do? What is God's will for my life? Now that's a good question. It's a question that we all should be asking ourselves. And the Bible's very specific about that. I can remember a message that John MacArthur preached. I wasn't there for it, but it was in November 1972. And it was called, How to Know the Will of God. And what he did is he took five different passages of Scripture that all specifically spoke about God's will, and he preached a message on that. 
I can say to you, every single person in this room, here are five things that are God's will for your life. You've got them listed there in your outline. The first thing of God's will for your life is that you would be saved from your sins. 2 Peter 3.9 says, The Lord is not slow to fulfill His promise, as some count slowness, but is patient toward you, listen to this, not wishing that any should perish, but that all should reach repentance. God's wish for you is that you would turn from your sins. It is possible that here this morning we have Mr. or Mrs. Businessman, and yet you have some business to attend to. It is not about a spreadsheets and business plans. Rather, it is for you to develop a strategy for your own soul and for eternity. Our sin has cut us off. And we are born distant from God and His holiness. We are born cherishing our sin more than Him. And yet God in His love does not want to leave us in this helpless state. Rather, He has sent His own Son to lay his life down as a bridge between our sinfulness and God's holiness. That if by faith we would trust him, confess our sins, we might enjoy that relationship with him. To speak about a relationship where we can see God not as an angry one, but as a father to us that we can go to and he can provide wisdom for our lives. This is God's will. That you would be forgiven of your sins. He is not willing. He is not wishing that any of you here would perish. So are you in God's will? Have you turned from your sins? Have you placed your faith in Jesus? The second thing I believe the Bible would say about God's will for your life. Is that it's God's will for you to grow as a Christian. 1 Thessalonians 4 says, For this is the will of God, your sanctification. That you would be set apart, that you would be distinct, that you would be different from the world, and you would be set apart for God. Now when we become a Christian, we probably don't know God's ways yet. So the psalmist said, Make me to know your ways, O Lord. Teach me your path. Lead me in your truth and teach me. God, I want to know your ways because I want to grow and I want to mature in who you want me to be. And then God will use you and your experiences to actually be an ambassador for this forgiveness message. So what is God's will for you? Is to grow as a Christian. To take who you are and to use that to enjoy a relationship with Him, to love others, and ultimately to share this message with others as well. I think we just look around our church and we see that being lived out. A number of weeks ago, Barb and Michelle were standing in front of us and they were speaking about how God took a very painful event in their life, cancer. And now they believe God's will for them is to use that painful event for good. And to be able to help others that are going through that. So on Wednesday evenings, they're providing some training towards us. Not only training on how to be a caregiver or a servant, but also training on how to share the gospel with people. I can think of just on Thursday, uh, our boys, I was with them at our Taekwondo training. And a man that used to come to our church named Joe Meyer, who's who's an expert in, in teaching karate, 
but he's also really good at sharing the gospel. And there there were about 30 kids, and there were some adults, and the parents were coming by to, to pick up the kids, and he wasn't going to let anyone leave without just sharing the gospel one more time. And he had a boy read a few verses, and then he just pleaded with everyone in the room that God's will for them is to be forgiven of their sins and to know God, to walk with Him. We could go around this room and some of you work in an office, some of you work in a hospital or some sort of a clinic, and, and God's will is for you to work as best you can in that job, but you're also having Bible studies there where you're opening up God's Word and it's a light for people to understand who God is and how God would have them to live. So the third area where God would have us to grow or God's will for us is God's will is for you to be filled by the Holy Spirit. In Ephesians 5, verse 17, Paul wrote, Therefore do not be foolish, but understand what the will of the Lord is. He wants us to understand what the will of the Lord is. And then he says in verse 18, Do not get drunk with wine, for that is debauchery, but be filled with the Spirit. God's will for Christians is that they would be under the influence, under the control of God's Spirit. And there would be this continuing yielding, acknowledging our need for God, and by faith receiving His strength to live out the Christian's life. To be able to take every situation that we have and say, God, Father, what is it? How would you want me to respond to this? What is your will for this situation? How are you leading me? Fourthly, God's will is for you to submit to leaders. So God puts people in our lives and he makes it really easy to know what God's will is by just submitting to what they tell us to do. 1 Peter 2.13 says, Be subject for the Lord's sake to every human institution, whether it be to the emperor as supreme or to governors as sent by him to punish those who do evil and to praise those who do good. For this is the will of God. God's will is often expressed to us by just following the leadership of those who are over us in authority. Now often what we do is we go down this road. Well, what if my supervisor asks me to jump off the Tower Drive Bridge? Well, when is the last time your supervisor has asked you to do that? And if that comes up in your mind, that's probably a more expression about what's going on in your own heart that you don't want to submit than it is about your supervisor, right? Of course, if your supervisor would ask you to do something that's unbiblical, that would be grounds for not submitting. But God often puts us in situations, whether you agree with it or not, where God's will is for you just to submit to that leadership. One of the privileges I had here at Highland Crest was to serve as 10 years under Pastor Jim. And in the vast majority of times, we were in lockstep in agreement but not everything. He had a particular view on music that was different than mine. But it wasn't a big deal to me. I can think of a time when we were at Fort Wilderness Winter Camp. And we were driving home from Winter Camp. One of our seniors cranked up the radio. And I thought for a moment, now what would God's will be here? 
Because I know that Pastor Jim would not approve of something like this. And so just very lovingly and respectfully, I said, I, uh, let, let's listen to something else. Or better yet, why don't we just visit during this drive home? It was God's will for me to submit to leadership. It's God's will. God puts leaders in our place, whether it's in our family, whether it's in our workplace, whether it's in our school, whether it's even in church, that we have the privilege of knowing God's will by submitting to their leadership. And then this one might surprise you. God's will to suffer. Did you know that it could be God's will for you to experience some suffering for doing the right thing? 1 Peter 3.17 says, For it is better to suffer for doing good if that should be God's will. There are times where we suffer because of our sinful choices. But there are times where we suffer for doing the good things. And so sometimes it's God's will for us to experience some suffering. So now we've considered this, God's will. This is what our life is to be about, acknowledging His will. Now let's consider the fourth statement here. A life that does not acknowledge God is sin. Look, look what it says here in verse 16. As it is, you boast in your arrogance. All such boasting is evil. So for the person that's just planning out their days without any acknowledgement of God, James is saying to them, you are boasting. The word boasting in Greek just means loud mouth. The word arrogance in Greek just means one who wanders. And so here you have a man or a woman, business person, that is, that is a loud mouth wanderer. They have nothing to boast about because at any moment God could change their plans. And I would think that would be appropriate to say, here's, here's, is there a fool? This is a foolish way to live. But God's word says something more strong than that. You see it there in verse 16. It says it is evil. It is sin to live in such a way where you do not acknowledge God in your life. So here's the conclusion. The conclusion of our passage today. Live a life that acknowledges God. Look what it says in verse 17. So whoever knows the right thing to do and fails to do it, for him it is sin. And I go back to Proverbs 3.6. In all your ways acknowledge him, and he will direct your paths straight. In all your ways I have a hunch that for many of us, there's been a time as a Christian where we've said, maybe it was at a camp, maybe it was at a conference of some sort, God, what is your will for my life? And I will submit to it. But I think what this passage is saying, that is good, I'm glad you've done that. But we ought to bring that with us throughout the day. God, I'm in this situation right now. What is your will for me? Last Friday or a few Fridays ago, we found ourselves at a used car lot in Cedarburg. And we were looking to purchase a vehicle. We'd researched it. We'd thought through it. We'd asked God, what's your will? And in doing that, we looked at our finance. We looked at what our motives were. As my husband, I was thinking about how can I please my wife? How can I love my wife and know her, get her something that she would like? And there we were at this lot looking at this vehicle. And as a family, we prayed, God, 
Would it be your will for us to purchase this? And when it seemed clear to do that, the boys went in the vehicle, I went in the office, and there was a salesman. Another man from the town came in, and it was just the three of us in there. And while they were working through the paperwork, and I look out in the vehicle, and it's just a rocking with all, you know, six people in there. We just began to listen and talk, and I began to talk to this guy from the town and just ask him about his life, and he was a car nerd. I mean, he just knew everything about cars. He was a big Ford fan and just began to show me pictures of his cars and, and he had some antique bikes. And just took a genuine interest in his life. When the paperwork was about ready, I thought, what is God's will for me right here? Guys, I've listened to your stories for a little while here. I've enjoyed getting to know you. Now would you mind if I just share a little story with you? And just had the privilege of just opening up the truths of the gospel. Just to be able to share that with them. But that came from a perspective of, God, what is your will? What would you want us to do at this moment, right now? Friday, taking the boys to Culver's, uh, getting behind the counter as they go off to um, get their seats and get their ketchup and their napkins or whatever. And I'm ordering for them. There's a lady behind the counter with a sling, broken arm. And God, what would you want to do at this moment? It just took an interest in her life to find out what the cause of that was. And then to be able to say, when we go back and we pray over our meal, we're going to pray that you won't need surgery. And that God would bring a healing to your arm. So that's what I think James is getting at today. It's not just, what is God's will in buying a house? What is God's will in marrying a spouse? What is God's will in going to a college? But what is God's will for your lunch today? What is God's will for your vacation? What is God's will for everything in your life? And just having an awareness of it. In all your ways, in all your ways, acknowledge Him. There was a time in my life where that was very scary. I thought, you know what He's going to do is suck out the fun of my life. But the truth is, It's the most thrilling and joyful thing you can do. God, what does your word say about this situation? And give me the courage and the grace to obey you. That's what James is holding out for us today. By God's grace, would you take that and apply it to your life? Let's pray. Father, each of us know what it's like to leave the church and by just a few days later realize that we've lived a a long segment of our day or maybe a couple of days and we just thought, have I even acknowledged you? Have I even asked your advice in this situation with a family member or a co-worker or a neighbor? Help us not to be guilty here of what the businessman was in James 4. Your will for us is that we'd be safe from our sins. Your will for us is that we would grow. Your will for us is that we would be filled with your Spirit. That we would submit to the people in our life. And your will for us is even to experience some suffering. May we apply that in our lives. May we go about our days big and small decisions, saying, what would you want me to do here? And may we experience the joy 
that comes with that. In Jesus' name, amen.